So we have to kind of retrain the amygdala as part of the limbic system to notice that when we fail, we don't die. Because the limbic system is hardwired to keep us safe and safe means alive. And the only thing it knows for sure we can survive are things that we've already survived. So kind of fatal flaw in the operating system there. But <clears throat> so I always tell my clients to like celebrate the crap out of your failure when you, and like say, oh, my God, I just did something for the first time and I didn't die. Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Hey, Career Nation, welcome back to the show. And today we have a phenomenal guest. She is an author, she's a business coach at Next Gen Orgs, and she's the president of the Bay Area chapter of Conscious Capitalism. Please welcome. Johanna Lyman to the show. Johanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Abhijit. Happy to be here. This is great. And, uh, you know, you and I have been planning this for a while. So this is super exciting for me. Uh, Johanna, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself and your role in these various organizations? Sure. So Next Gen Orgs is my company. I founded it uh, in its early version, founded it 16 years ago this month. Uh, it's gone through a couple of iterations and it's been about four years that it's been Next Gen Orgs. And we help companies have sustainable profitability and build highly cohesive and productive teams. And then as the board president of Conscious Capitalism, a role that I've been in for about six months now, I've been involved in the organization for a couple of years, maybe almost three. Um, and yeah, so Conscious Capitalism is about unleashing the heroic spirit of business. So it's, it's about business as a force for good in the world, which aligns very much with the work that we do at NextGen Orcs. Oh, I love the synergies there, because on one hand, you're helping businesses uh, as part of NextGen Orcs, and on the other hand, you are working um, with Conscious Capitalism as a uh, to help business be a force for good. Um, so I, there's a lot of intersections there. So what, why don't we dive into this a little bit more? What does NextGen Orgs do? Do you guys help uh, startups, established companies, and sort of how do you help them? Yep. So we work with companies, small, fast-growing companies, privately held, um, and we do. There's four basic things that we do with them. First, we help them understand their values and their purpose and their vision. We help them um, with conscious communication. So it's emotional intelligence, how to do conflict management. Um, we also help companies actively embrace failure so that they can be wildly innovative and scale faster. And then the fourth thing that we do is we help companies become radically inclusive. And, you know, there's, there's a strong business case for all of those things, which is why we do them. We put it together and we call it building brave cultures. Oh, that's outstanding. And I can see a lot of companies who would love to 
take advantage of that because that's an area as companies are fast growing um, culture and um, improving uh, sort of teams is an area which is a lot of times overlooked. And uh, this is a really interesting area that you're working in. Um, and as we shift towards sort of conscious capitalism and um, business is becoming force for good, it is a, um, it is, it is such an intriguing topic because on one hand, um, a lot of companies here in Silicon Valley, they're trying to grow fast. And in that process, they may not be paying attention to be, become, being more inclusive or uh, some of the uh, things that we have going on locally, uh, such as uh, diversity or housing or gentrification and all of those type of things. And um, how are you encouraging businesses to be conscious about uh, their capitalistic tendencies, how do you how do how are you influencing them? That's a great question. Um, it has to start really at the very beginning, and it has to start with being the founder or founders being mindful about their values and the values that they want the company to bring into the world. And then once they're clear on their values then we can come up with a purpose that is beyond profit. Profit is essential. Um, and studies have shown that actually purpose-driven companies outperform the S&P 500 by 14 times. So it's not just a good thing. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's really good for business. But then you have to not only have these values and understand what your greater purpose is, but you have to operationalize them. So how, do you, how would your customers or clients see that you were living your, your values, see that you're living the company's values? How does that show up in how you do business? Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's interesting uh, you say that is because a lot of times people in companies are compensated and incentivized in different ways because, uh, you know, they may be incentivized on sales or product or, you know, those type of things. And that includes bonuses and stock options and all of those things. And um, having a purpose is great. Uh, and many companies have a great purpose and they're trying to move towards that. But there is also a set of companies who may have a superficial purpose. Their real purpose is to disrupt and other things. So how does that how does conscious capitalism get manifested in, co in companies where, you know, the people are incentivized differently or their purpose may be just a little bit more flimsy, if you will? Right. Um, I think that the biggest thing that I've seen with later stage companies is they might have a purpose, they understand their values when they're just starting but then they hit an inflection point, they start scaling and they bring on, you know, 50 more employees and that somehow the, the purpose and the values gets diluted at that point if they're not operationalized. If they've got a very clear set of this is how we do things and they onboard their new employees to understand that, then it doesn't get diluted. But that's, that's such a huge problem that I see all the time. Great. And, and as these companies are growing and they're trying to innovate, um, one of the topics you mentioned earlier was about failure. 
And uh, I know this uh, topic is very close to your heart. You've written about it online as well. Um, you know, I've always struggled to understand the question about failure, whether it's individual or at a team level. And uh, as we see, especially in tech companies, we are always trying to innovate, push the envelope just a little bit more. And through that, a lot of times there is failure and failure sometimes is taken as, oh, here's something new we learned versus sometimes it's like, oh, you failed. That's why we are going to move on to a different project or you should not be working on these innovative things anymore. So it, could, it has got this double-edged, uh, it's a double-edged sword. How do you think we should handle failure, especially in companies uh, at a team level, at an individual level? We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We absolutely have to. And there's stats behind it, something like 84% of leaders know that innovation is critical to the success of the company, but only 4% of them, this is from a McKinsey study, only 4% of them are actually doing something about it in their strategic plans. And it's not, so it's not because they don't know it's important, they just don't know how. And I always like to say, if I could change one thing about our society, I would change the way we educate our kids because we set them up to learn at a very young age that they can't fail more than 30% of the time. You know, that's a C grade, right? <clears throat> but in reality, 90, 90, 80 to 90% of startups fail, like 92% of product innovations fail. Like there is no success at all without failure first. So, and we like to do it by, um, <laughs> we teach the innovation uh, by playing games because it's fun and people learn 10 times faster when they're having fun. So we get them, it's the only way to get comfortable being uncomfortable is to practice. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I think you're so right about failure and actually, um, thankfully in Silicon Valley, at least we have a culture that celebrates failure a lot of times, which is great. And uh, that actually is very helpful for companies that are trying to innovate, break glass and move forward quickly. And uh, having that inclusiveness for failure is super helpful. Um, do you have any advice for um, executives, managers who are, who would like to encourage their team to innovate. And at the same time, there might be a little bit um, very of them failing. And how do you, how can one develop an appetite for a certain level of failure while as we, as we go through our innovation cycles? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple things that happen. Um, first of all, they could, you know, do some sort of a team building process that actually gets people together and does like, like a ropes course or something where they get to practice things like this. And it helps to build morale. It helps to build a sense of belonging. And at the end of the day, whether they, whether you say you've got a culture of innovation or not, um, you really don't have a culture of innovation if you're not failing a lot and then learning from it. So what's the key learning here? And how can, like, where's the point of failure? 
And how can we, like, if we start there just before that, how can we do it better next time? Um, the other thing is that, you know, the reason, besides the school thing, the reason we're so afraid of failing is because we're afraid of getting kicked out of the tribe, right? This, this psychological safety and belonging is so crucial. And so, and we're hardwired to kind of sort for sameness and to keep ourselves safe, right? So we have to kind of retrain the amygdala, part of the limbic system, to notice that when we fail, we don't die. Because the limbic system is hardwired to keep us safe, and safe means alive. And the only thing it knows for sure we can survive are things that we've already survived. So kind of fatal flaw in the operating system there, but... <clears throat> so I always tell my clients to like celebrate the crap out of your failure when you, and like say, Oh my God, I just did something for the first time and I didn't die. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. You know, that, that is so interesting is because um, it, it, rem it reminds me that failure is not just at the team level it could also be personal mm -hmm. and it's okay to fail. And there's a lot of learning there. And uh, no, you're not going to get kicked out of the tribe. And no, you're not going to die. And it's going to make you stronger and more learned. And it will help you to, quite frankly, propel in the right direction. If, if you're not able to open some doors, that means you're actually uh, destined to open a different door, which is more success. Um, and so have you um, seen any um, examples or ways um, to deal with personal failure, especially in careers and especially for career nation where we have people who are trying different things or trying different types of jobs or domains and what have you. And they're kind of going through their careers and trying to navigate the best they can. Um, anything that you can share about sort of dealing with personal failure? Yes, um, <clears throat> don't take it personally. <laughs> so we have to separate the the action with the doer okay so if i if i've just you know been fired from a job for example um i have to separate out like these are the actions or inactions that caused me to get fired and they're not who i am as a human if they are who you are as a human then maybe it's time to get some coaching <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point to separate yourself from the actions because your actions don't always represent who you are. Right. Um, that's a great hack. I love it. Um, Johanna, why don't we shift gears a little bit and learn a little bit more about you and we'll get into our favorites game, which is we ask you some favorite questions, rapid fire, and you are expected to answer them and tell us why that thing is your favorite. Johanna, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, why don't we start with what is your favorite app? My favorite app, this is going to sound silly, but it's a cribbage app because I love to play cribbage and my husband doesn't have the patience to learn how. So <laughs> it's the only way I get to play enough. Oh, very cool. That's great. You get to keep your hobby. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, what is your favorite book? And this could be a fiction or a nonfiction book. 
That is such a hard question for someone like me who reads an average of at least two or three books a week. Um, but I will say that probably the book that most impacted me was Atlas Shrug by Ayn Rand. Oh, very cool. <laughs> oh, I can definitely draw some connection points there to conscious capitalism. And yeah, yep. that's awesome. Um, how about a favorite quote? Do you have a favorite quote that you would like to put on your computer, on your wall, or just like as a mental tattoo? Yes, I actually had one that was on my wall for 10 years before I figured out what it really meant. Um, I've been absolutely terrified every day of my life, but I've never let it stop me from doing a single thing. Georgia O'Keeffe. Powerful. I love that. Um, and that also kind of relates to failure because yes, some of those things might result in failure, but that's the way it is. Right. Um, failure and obstacle is the way to move forward. Um, on a different note, what is your favorite restaurant? Anything that can make me a good New England lobster roll. Ooh, nice. There's actually a place in Burlingame, I think, um, I believe it's called the New England Lobster Company. Um, and I will take a drive up from San Jose on a pretty regular basis just to get my fix. Oh, that is so cool. Um, I will check it out and put that in the show notes. Um, Joanna, now that we know you a little bit more, um, we would love to figure out what's sort of the secret sauce behind Johanna Lyman's uh, career success. So here's the part where we're trying to understand what are your strategies and approaches towards your career? Do you have like a morning routine? Do you prep yourself? What, what are some of the strategies that have really helped you become successful in your career? Yeah, there's a combination. Yes, I have a morning routine um, before I turn on my computer or open my phone. I have um, like a devotional reading that I do and then a short meditation, um, a journal on a regular basis so that I can capture my own insights and my own learnings. Um, and then I am a connector. So when I meet a new person, and I think you're, you're like this too, because we, we were kind of going back and forth when we first <laughs> Absolutely. met. Absolutely. Um, when I first meet somebody, my first thought is, how can I help you? How can I help you get what you're looking for? Um, and I think that is not as rare now as it was when I first started in corporate, um, but it's still somewhat unusual. And all the the go-givers that I've ever met have all been successful. There's a, have you read that book, The Go-Givers? I have not, but I uh, read Adam Grant's uh, Give and Take, um, oh, yeah, similar right. topic, but mm -hmm. I haven't read The Go-Givers. That is a very interesting title because it's different than The Go-Getters. It's like right. The Go-Givers. Exactly. I love that title. Yeah, and uh, it's tell a par parable, so it's just a really short read. I forget who the author is, but... Awesome. Um, Johanna, as you... Uh, help companies through next-gen orgs and through conscious capitalism. There might be many important projects, meetings. Um, tell us 
how do you say prepare for a big meeting or prepare for a big project? What's what sort of preparedness and sort of how do you help your stakeholders, your clients become successful? What what sort of preparedness and what uh, mechanisms do you use that you would like to share with Career Nation? Um, so to prepare for like a big meeting or a big team delivery, something like that, um, I take my morning practice and I double it. <laughs> and the other thing that I do, to be honest with you, is I know that when I can tap into the wisdom in the room, I have, I have the ability to, kind of a strange and unique gift, I love it, um, to tune into any organism, whether it's an individual or team or an entire organization. And I can sort of, in a way, it's hard to describe, but I can see what wants to emerge. And I can see the highest potential that's in the room in front of me. And so when I can tune into that and just let myself be guided to speak to what I can see, pretty magical stuff happens. That is super magical. And that is almost like you are, you're sensing the room, you're sensing yeah. the people, you're sensing the individuals. Yeah. Are there any cues that you look for? Is this like body language or do you see like people are bringing up certain topics? So tell, tell us a little bit more, give us a clue into your superpowers. Yeah, so I think it's, I, I am highly intuitive. So there's that. But I, I think, because I've been trying to unpack this for myself for about 10 years, like, how do I do that thing? I think I am really good at pattern matching. And it happens so fast that it occurs as intuition, but really I'm just, I'm paying attention to tiny little cues. It might be how someone looks at a, another person in the room. It, body language for sure is part of it. Um, and just like, just having a sense of the energy in the room and being able to, um, speak to that. That is fascinating. I would love to develop something like that. Although you are like, um, several, several levels, um, higher in terms of pattern matching and sensing this, is there a way someone like me, who's a novice in, let's say, understanding patterns, et cetera, develop this? Like, is this like a having a lot of different types of experiences and then trying to figure out patterns? Because I played a bit with, for example, mental models, and I've tried to figure out, okay, is this situation, can I apply this type of a mental model? Like, for example, the Pareto rule, 80-20, for example, yeah. right? So things like that. So those mental models. But I'd love to understand a little bit more about pattern matching. And um, it seems like to match patterns, first I should know patterns and identify patterns. So tell us a little bit more, what's, what's sort of behind, is, uh, behind what's, what's sort of the method to the madness, if you will? So <clears throat> I think the secret is presence. So the more present you are, the more emotionally intelligent you are, the more you have positive mindsets, I think the better you'll get at this kind of rapid, fast pattern matching. 
Yeah. And so the presence aspect is so important. Um, and in a world where we are overloaded with our digital signals emanating from all these devices, how does one develop presence? Is there a, it sounds like a quality that is you have some stillness at the same time you are actively engaged. Um, and so how have you experienced that presence, whether it's your presence that you have developed over a period of time, you've seen others exhibit and demonstrate presence? Um, yeah, um, first of all, it's learnable. <laughs> Everything is figure outable, right? Um, it, it really has to do with developing emotional intelligence. So developing your self-awareness first and foremost. So that's why I start my mornings the way I do, um, to have those moments of, of silence and connecting with myself. Um, and then once, once you've got a, a good handle on the self-awareness, then you can get into like self-management and then social awareness and relationship management. So those are the four aspects of emotional intelligence. So it's, it's really just like how you get to Carnegie Hall, practice, practice, practice. Yeah, that's it, right. And uh, overnight success has been 20 years in the making, as they right. say. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> 16 years and counting for me. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, Johanna, this has been a phenomenal conversation. And as we start to wrap up here, um, what, um, what would you like to share with Career Nation? And we have an audience that is sort of early in career, in the middle of their career, or late in career. So we have got a broad spectrum of audience. What would you like to share with them in terms of guidance and insights based on your experiences? The number one indicator of success is the degree of self-awareness and emotional intelligence a person has. Now, 85% of people think they're emotionally intelligent and only 10 to 15% actually are. So it's never too early to become more self-aware. It's also never too late. I love it. And that, I think one of the distinctions there also, Johanna, is the sort of the know-it-all versus the learn-it-all. And yes. um, so it sounds like 80, if 85% of people think that they're emotionally intelligent and actually only 15% are, that's a, that's a stark difference between the know-it-all and the learn-it-all right there. Right. And I think, you know, humility is such an, a misunderstood and important quality in leaders. Um, and that's the idea that I'm not better than anyone, but I'm also not worse than anyone. So it's, you know, treating everyone with respect. You're so right. And that's the, that's the least thing anybody could do for anyone else. Be kind, be respectful. Yeah. And it doesn't matter even if you're uh, working uh, intensely in a startup or in a large tech company or anywhere else, it doesn't matter. But treating others the way uh, they should be treated is so important. Um, Johanna, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. We got so much out of it. Thank you for your time. And also we wish you all the very best for next-gen orgs and for conscious capitalism. Thank you. Thank you. And folks can find me on LinkedIn 
um, Johanna Lyman. I come up pretty fast. Um, and also, if you're curious, check out ccbayarea.org for Conscious Capitalism. We have online and in-person events. And uh, nextgenorgs.com is my website. Wonderful. Johanna, thank you so much. My pleasure, Abhijit. All right, take good care. <laughs>